Welcome to the On-Premise IT Podcast, the only podcast that dares to be both on topic and on location. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and I am a part of Gestalt IT, focusing on things related to networking and wireless. And each episode, we bring to you uh, viewpoints and commentary from a group of IT luminaries, uh, experts in their field, where we debate a topic or a premise, if you will, to uh, kind of figure out if it holds water or not. I'd like to take a moment for each of our guests today to introduce themselves so you know who they are before we dive right in, starting with Avril. Hi, so um, Dr. Avril Sorter. I've been in the wireless industry for more years than I care to mention, so you should definitely take my advice because I've been out there and touched all of the wireless technologies. Um, you can reach me on both Twitter and also my LinkedIn account, so just feel free to connect to me. There's not many Avril Sorters, so you'll find me. Uh, Keith Parsons. You can find me uh, online at Keith R. Parsons on Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, my website's wlandpros.com. I've been doing wireless for uh, probably as long as Avril there. Uh, she looks younger than I do, so I'm, I'm sure I'm older. Uh, but I also do the WLAN uh, Pros Conference, WLPC. So glad to be here with you today. Hi, my name is Jennifer Huber, and you can find me on Twitter at Jennifer Lucille. You can find me on LinkedIn as well. And although I've been doing Wi-Fi um, 20 years, I just did the math. I mean, I'm never going to catch up to Avril and Keith, but I'm certainly drawing out a long path of the stuff that I did behind me. Well, that's totally all right, because we have a group of <laughs> Wi-Fi experts here that are ready to talk about all things Wi-Fi. So let's jump into the premise of today's episode. Now, putting Wi-Fi access points on a map is fairly easy, right? You just draw a little dot and it will show up there eventually. Now, if you want to be a little bit more creative, maybe you actually show up and kind of figure out if that's a wall or something that you want to avoid, but it's real easy to do. In fact, it's so easy to do that the term site survey has fairly ubiquitous. It's, it's something that everybody just knows what you're talking about. But do you actually know what you're talking about when you talk about doing a site survey? Because if you talk to people that do them, I think their perspective is radically different than the people who are trying to sell you tools and software to do the same. The premise for today's episode is that you're using the word site survey completely wrong. You're, you're using the term wrong, Tom. Well, why am I using the term wrong, Keith? Because I thought a site survey was uh, running this tool that somebody gave me, and it's going to like figure out that the walls are all made out of bricks, and it's going to say, okay, you need to put the access points right here, and then everything will be work, and everything will be green. Well, we, we all know that green is good. Uh, the question is, what, what's, what came in behind that? So I don't think the premise is wrong in that you should go on site and measure things to know what's there. The problem with the term site survey is people view it wrong. Some salespeople sell it like, oh, we'll include a free site survey in if you buy our stuff. Others sell a site survey as a service and don't define exactly what that service means. So the term site survey has this huge wide ranging idea of what it could, could include. And yet I just got done building a house, it's, thus the house isn't here. And we had a site survey from the surveyor who actually surveyed the property. There was a site survey from the HVAC guy and a site survey from the concrete guy and a site survey from all of the subcontractors sent guys to do site surveys. And if you think of wireless as just one more sub on a, on a construction project, they all do site surveys. So what, what makes our site survey somehow different? And there's a wide range even inside the wireless community of what is included in a site survey. So it's like we need descriptive words, right? 
we need a descriptive word in front of the site survey. Yes, like what are what are you actually surveying? Which is why I also don't like just even using the word site survey because it's so broad. I think we should use descriptive words of what you're actually going to do. But the problem with using a descriptive word, Keith, is that it's very hard for me to kind of encapsulate what I want to do with just a simple, you know, like being very specific, like an on-site wall survey or something like that. When if I just say site survey, that makes it a whole lot easier for me to sell it. But also it makes it a whole lot easier for me to change what I sold if I don't need to do that. Or if I don't want to pay the labor to have somebody go out and actually walk around with a painter's pole and hanging things up. It, you're right. From a sales standpoint, it's a much easier way to go. From a deliverable standpoint, it, it adds that ambiguity makes it very difficult for the engineering team to do what they need to do. Yeah, how do you know what's successful if you haven't defined what the site survey is, what the success of a site survey is going to show? Are we just looking at the spectrum, you know, spectrum analysis? Are we looking at interference? Like, what are we looking at? Are we looking at an existing deployment? Are we planning for a future deployment? What are we talking about? Oh, so you mean I can have site surveys that are not only verification that we put the right stuff in, but also I need to find out if I need to add more stuff in the future? It's entirely possible. And you, you can also have site surveys, and just to, to re-emphasize how broad of the term it is, some people who mean site survey is, and we're going to go on site and put an AP on a stick at each and every location and take a physical measurement of how far each AP covers so we can guarantee that those locations are accurate. Now, that kind of site survey is way more expensive than doing a virtual one where I just sit in my lab and, and, and lab up something in a piece of software. They have different costs. They also have different levels of accuracy. And it's okay. Both types are, are reasonable answers to solve certain problems. And yet the price difference could be 10x, 20x difference. Uh, and so when people say, oh, I'll just throw in a free site survey, you're probably getting one and not the other included in that. So it's, a, it's just a term if we, if we get precise in our language, then everyone's happy. It's why lawyers make so much money, is that precision is what matters. So I have a viewpoint here just to uh, provoke everybody. Right? We're seeing a lot of people saying, oh, you don't need to do a um, site survey, whatever form that is, because we've got all the tools now that um, can adapt and modify, predict, etc. I want to make an argument that Wi-Fi and other radio technologies has become so complicated with beamforming that today's tools that we've got can't do it accurately. Um, and therefore, I'm going to make an argument that says that if you can't actually do it accurately, then maybe the tools and uh, predicting it is better than actually doing it. Because um, uh, coming back to your point, Keith, if you did do an access point on a stick and popped it up, you can't measure beam forming. Right. You can't um, look at some of the new stuff that's coming up in the higher frequencies. Um, and so can we actually do it accurately going forward, given the complexity of our wireless networks? Uh, actually, you have a very good point, Dr. Averill. That's that's be because and you only just mentioned beamforming. What about reflection and refraction? We have no tools to measure those. And yet our software that, that supposedly does add those into our prediction models, how do they come up with the reflection if you can't measure it? That's just a made-up number that you're going to apply. It came from a book, and they just put the number in there, and then they say, well, we think at this angle you got to 
the angle of incidence is equal to this, and then they, they predict it, and yet we have no tools to even measure if it's correct. Uh, against what you said, I still think there's value in doing it for the bulk of what happens. How far does the RF go? The things we can measure, what's the attenuation of a wall? There, the, a specific AP in a specific location with a specific antenna, we can now see what the antenna pattern does. So there's a whole bunch of what you said that's true. The very complex things we can't model, we can model them, but we can't measure them. But the core of what Wi-Fi does, delivering RF to a location at a certain SNR, we're pretty good at being able to measure that in, in the real world. Yeah, and I think, I still think it's important to have the foundation to do a level set baseline um, document data collection on what is happening in the RF environment um, with as much as you can get with today's tools so that you know what's out there, you know what you're gonna be up against when you start putting in licensed or lightly licensed or unlicensed stuff. In, in the pre-talk pre we were just talking before, uh, Jen, you came up with some, a, a list of things of what some people include in the survey. I think it'd be very appropriate to, to rec oh, it, it, yeah. it, was, it was what's in the closet stuff that not all surveys Yeah, totally. So when you say somebody to do a site survey, sometimes you'll just get somebody that will go on site and they'll document the switch ports that are free. They'll document, you know, are there any POE ports that are free? Is there space in the rack? Is there space in the conduit? Do we need to drill new holes in the walls? Are the cable trays free? That's a valid site survey for the cabling crew. But if that's not what you're talking about with a customer, you need to be very, or and with anybody, never mind just customers, you need to be very explicit and get very specific with your words so that everybody's on the same playing field. So you're understanding one another accurately. Or the reverse. I've had people contract me to go and do the RF piece and never look at any cable locations and then later find out. Yep. We're too far away. Yep. We have to add a whole IDF that wasn't ever in the plans. And they're like, yep. well, why, didn't, there. why didn't you look at it? I'm like, well, you didn't pay me to look at it. You asked me to do the RF. Yeah. I did the RF. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that actually brings up a really interesting point because the, the what you're describing, kind of going back to Keith's original um, point about having a, a home construction site survey, think about all of the people that would come out to look at certain things. Like you would have the gas company come out and, and, figure out where their lines are. You might have a different company come out to figure out if there's like a fiber cable that's buried in the yard. And my dad being a construction superintendent, anytime he went to go do a site survey, he carried a shovel with him because he was used to pouring concrete for years. And so what he would do is he would dig down about a foot to figure out if the soil down there where he needed to pour his footing was the same as the soil on the surface. That all kind of leads to this idea that you really have to show up you can't do a site survey properly unless you're on site. Is that the case? I would agree with that because, I mean, just because you've got a floor plan, it doesn't tell you necessarily like what the ceiling is made out of. Is it a drop ceiling? Is it like, uh, is it the drywall hard ceiling? Is it an atrium area? Is it aesthetically pleasing? Um, you can't really get, or I haven't seen that level of detail in floor plans. Or, or what's in the floor so. plan isn't what's actually in the real world as well. So exactly. that's I, I do think though yeah. there there is a, a, a place in the world for doing I hate using the word survey again, but a virtual, a predictive design to give you a a first pass. Where do we need cable drops? Where do we think we're gonna need cable drops? Because sometimes we have to do our work against a floor plan. They haven't even built the site yet, 
and yet they need conduits to be put in the concrete before they do the pour. So I think there's a, a time and a place for us to use our fancy predictive tools, uh, taking measurements of how long the cable lengths are, predicting where IDFs need to be. But to, to Jen's point, after the building's built, or if it's a existing building, nothing beats being on site and taking real world measurements. So I'm wondering, uh, as site surveys go forward, whether we can start introducing more artificial intelligence into actually doing these um, site surveys. If we have to be on site, um, having better tools to actually be broader and be more efficient, like using cameras to recognize certain things rather than relying on the person working out whether it's a drop ceiling or not, um, having sensors that can actually bring in that information. And again, coming back to my earlier point, trying to make things more accurate and coming back to your point, more complete so that we can do a, a, the, the survey in a more complete way, but in the same kind of time frame. I, I think one of the things we've learned in COVID is perhaps we can't go as on-site as what you would really like to do that we did in it previously, but a hard hat with a GoPro mounted on top and a microphone to talk to someone, they can document a whole lot of the walking and talking process that I, I don't have to physically go on site like I used to and get a whole bunch of that information. I don't think it finishes and, it, and make, it's not as accurate, but it's way cheaper to send someone just remote hands with a, with a camera mounted than sending your best top engineers to every single site. Uh, though a lot of engineers like doing that, I personally enjoy it. It's, it's very, it doesn't scale really well. And Jen, you like just sitting back there post-yoga reviewing someone else's work. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Don't we all? Yeah. Yeah. Well, but to that point, so one of the things that we've even talked about in the past is giving uh, more specific tools to people to go out and maybe do like, as, as Keith said, maybe more of a predictive survey or maybe more as a, a first pass to get some data points where I can send maybe a, a, an entry level type person or a junior admin to do that as opposed to having to book the billable hours of someone who is like a senior Wi-Fi architect or something like that. But, you know, kind of to, to Avril's point, is there a situation that you run into where you can reduce the tool set to the point where I don't have to incur the huge costs of sending a, a Keith or a Jan or an Avril to do the site survey? I can have them kind of, you know, tell my group the right questions to ask and tell them where to go stand and then verify those results without ever having to go on site. Well, the... the the other side of this, the flip side, we've been talking about site survey as the before kind of thing, before you install. I strongly, strongly believe you must do a survey after you install to document what's there. I, so a, a friend of ours, Sam Clements, has this attitude that if you do an AP and a stick survey prior and you test every single location with the AP, with the antenna at the location, then you don't need to do an after install because you, you've already done it. I found that to be an expensive solution and yet it works. Most of my customers would rather have a little less money up front, and then that final confirmation that, okay, yes, everything that we predicted was going to be there actually happened. So the other side of the site survey coin is what do you do after the install and you go back and you verify. I mean, we do the same thing with cables today. The guys pull the cable in, but you don't pay the cable guy until he gives you the certification that they do meet CAT 6 spec. 
I think we need the same level in Wi-Fi that after install, the SSIDs are in the air, the coverage patterns match what we wanted. We, if, if we have a hole that we didn't predict, we know about it so we can fix it before it goes live. I really like it, and but I struggle with it because, um, you know, what 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 I want to do is, you know, Wi-Fi is so subjected to interference. Going to all of this accuracy and prediction for something which is totally unpredictable strikes me as a um, you know a contradiction, and um, and I just struggle with that a little bit. Um, and uh, when you do, I, I do agree with you, Keith. Um, if one's really trying to do a very uh, good and predictable network, but next week things could change in a heartbeat, and and you can't keep doing it. And it's the nature of what Wi-Fi is um, uh, versus other wireless technologies. And so I just I just worry. Oh, I just wonder: is there a better way of doing it? Like um, like having online sensors that can replace us from doing that from being on site. But because they're online and because they're computerized, they're, they're full time, right? They're, they're, they're all the time, not just a one thing. And what does that look like? And why isn't the industry trying to embrace that? Why are we still stuck with the um, the tools where you walk around? You know, <laughs> I, I'm like, when when does that break? And when do we break it? And how does the industry break it? I think that we haven't gotten to that next step of the automated site survey because we haven't figured out how to get the sensor to move around like the person that's doing the site survey does with their site survey tools. Um, You could have a stationary device collecting data in in the environment, but it's not going to get, you know, the same sort of heat map that you would or the documentation of the RF coverage like you would from a site survey using a wireless site survey tool. I I think that the reason you do the post-deployment validation site survey is so that you have a milestone to say, yep, it matches what we thought we were going to do. We did the thing and we've done the thing and it looks good. And you do like the warm handover to whoever's going to take the Wi-Fi from there. Um, But as a matter of like, what do you do? Like when things go south, you know, six months later, um, I would hope that there would be a tool set that somebody could use, whether they're employed by the, the building that owns the wireless infrastructure or whether they're employed by somebody who is hired to help out the building that owns the wireless infrastructure. Um, you know, that all depends. Once upon a time, they tried to tell us that in order to have RSSI location accuracy every six months, we needed to calibrate the wireless to get that level of accuracy that they told us was possible. But we all know that that's not actually a thing. I'm thinking to myself is that if you could do a rough site survey, is the tools good enough in terms of things like beamforming and other adaptive things that are coming in the Wi-Fi network? to mean that we don't need the accuracy in our Wi-Fi anymore. Um, um, and so I do agree with your handoff and from a consulting perspective. You, you need to get yeah. paid, so you need to sign off and you need to show the deliverables. But can we rely more on Wi-Fi adapting to the environment and therefore our site surveys can be less I think think to some degree that that, that depending upon the hardware vendor that's chosen, you can rely on, you know, the the algorithms to choose the right channels and the right power output. But I still think it's a good idea to have some sort of um, 
peek into what's going on in the spectrum, in the space, in the real world. All right. So it sounds like there's a lot of differing opinions and basically perspectives on what entails site survey, going on site versus using predictive tools, uh, doing it beforehand, doing it after you've completed it, doing it in the future to figure out if you need to add capacity. But we want to leave our listeners and our viewers with a little bit of wisdom about what they should be thinking about when they're discussing this topic with other people. So I want to go around real quick, and I want to ask our our panelists here. When you use the word site survey, what is the best way that people can say that word and be very specific about what it entails instead of saying something that while people may hear the words, they don't agree on what it actually means. What, what's one way that people can express all of the things that are entailed in this? Well, I think that the term needs to be clearly defined so that all parties that are going to agree to what successful use of the term is um, are very clear on what it means. Uh, then you can refer to it by whatever shorthand you want to refer to it as, but you need to be very clear that that this term means this, 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 and does not mean this, 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 this. Okay, now we can have a conversation. I, I, personally, I try to not use the term at all. And if you just take the word site survey out of your vocabulary, about a, out of a proposal, it will force you to come up with what you, to, to then replace it with the thing that you really wanted to say. Oh, we're going to do a predictive design. We're going to do an on-site measurement of wall RF attenuation. We're going to do blank. You just just take the word out, and then whatever you replace it with will have the descriptors you need. It's a piece of shorthand that people have used, and it's the shorthand that's the trouble. So just don't use it. Just replace it with whatever the words you wanted to say. So I like both of those. I think I think for me it would be. Uh, eliminate the word completely. <laughs> just get rid of it because it is just too, 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 um, uh, too unknown. And I would focus, uh, building on what Jennifer and Keith were saying, is focus on the end deliverables. W what are you doing? I I am I going to give you a design which places all the access points? What What is it that you're going to get out of it? And focus on the output in the customer terms and eliminate the site survey is where I'd go with that one. I do have one extra piece of information that if you wanted to share it, it's kind of fun. I remember the old ads for about a cell company. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? And I use that as an example. It, is that what you want me to do to go around and say, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Is that what you mean? Cause that is a site survey and they've all seen that and it's a visual and they're like, well, all they're doing is measuring how far you can go. Right. So is that what you want? And then it's kind of a fun way to start the discussion because you need to have a, the detailed discussion that Jen mentioned. If it's not precise, who knows what you're going to get. And yeah. I think that that is a great place to wrap up here because we have a bad tendency in technology to be imprecise because it gives us wiggle room when things don't go the way we want them to go. We like to be able to um, improvise, if you will. And one of the things that happens when we have a very clearly defined task, whether it's a, a site survey or, I don't know, like robotic process automation or something, we use that term and it may not mean the same thing to everyone. And while we get creative with how we implement it, we really shouldn't. So maybe we do need to retire the term if nobody's going to use it correctly. Maybe we need to be more precise. Maybe we need to say that it's going to be a pre-deployment site reachability 
survey, or maybe it's a post-deployment verification or something like that, where it's more agreeable to what we're actually doing as opposed to just doing the thing that everybody else does but doesn't do it right. And unfortunately, that means that we're all going to have to get buy-in on this. And that means that we're all going to maybe have to develop the right terminology of how to do this properly and what needs to be included and what isn't included and why you need it. And if a lot of this sounds like work for the people who are trying to sell these things, it should be. Because it's not up to us to make their lies come true. It's up to them to deliver the capabilities that we are capable of. That will just about do it for this episode of the On-Premise Podcast. We want to thank you all very much for tuning in. We try to have a new episode out every couple of weeks uh, on a variety of technical topics. If you want to be in the know on the latest episodes, please make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash video. You can also find the latest episode on our website at gestaltit.com slash podcast. You can subscribe to an audio feed of our podcast in your favorite podcast application of choice. And if you do so, we'd love it if you'd leave us a rating and a review for other people to find so that they know that we are using the word premise correctly in this context and that we have great technical discussions that don't take five or six hours. We should be back with another great episode very soon. But until then, thank you for tuning in and we look forward to seeing you soon.